Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here always, Chris Flaming, and today I have the honor of welcoming Karen Tenenbaum to the show. Her self-titled firm provides legal counsel to individuals and businesses facing IRS and New York State tax problems. She is a frequent speaker on tax issues for various professional groups, and she's been recognized as a New York super lawyer. Karen, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. What a great opportunity Yeah, to speak to people in Florida and all over. That's right. We're going to have fun. So I'm sure you have a really interesting history. So can you just kind of take me through briefly how you got to where you are today with your business? Sure. So I'm both a CPA and an attorney. I went to college for four years to be an accountant and then went right into law school. Okay. But the truth is, and then I went to big firms like uh, Deloitte and what is now KPMG to become certified in New York. And then I went to law firms. But honestly, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and it was always my dream to have my own business. And uh, 26 years ago, I started my own law firm, Tenenbaum Law in Millville, Long Island. And uh, we've been recognized as a top tax law firm by New York Law Journal, by the Long Island Business News. And I'm one of the few female-owned firms that have hit uh, seven figures. So it's awesome. been it's been fun. But honestly, I credit my parents for having that discussion around the dinner table. My uh, family uh, had their own business. And uh, so I, I used to hear about just, you know, what it's like to run a business. Yeah, and I the good and the bad. Too. Right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. So if you could kind of go back in time 20 some years and give that younger you some advice, maybe something you know now that you wish you knew back then, what do you think that that would be? So this is interesting. You know, I took accounting classes and I took law classes uh, and business classes, but I, I never went for my MBA. Mm. And I have to say that uh, getting that kind of education and experience was really important. And this is open now. The Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program mm. is open to all small businesses if they need you know, certain requirements. Mm-hmm. And it's a free program. It used to be in person. Then it was online during the pandemic. And I think it's back in person in a number of locations across the country. And it is their goal to really give you a miniature MBA education in a few weeks. It's over a 10-week period. And I have to say, it teaches you about you as a, as a leader, having a team, sales, marketing, processes and procedures, metrics, knowing the numbers, what are the key performance indicators. And it's all those things, how to negotiate, all those things that you need in business. And uh, it's so practical. It's not just sitting in a classroom. It's actively engaging with other business owners and learning mm-hmm. from them. And mm-hmm. what you learn is whether you have a law firm or any other business, all businesses are the same. And we all have the same challenges and issues and opportunities. Yeah. And then how do you grow? And how do you grow? And they teach you, you don't write a business plan. You write a growth plan. Mm. And at the end, they ask you, how are you going to implement it? What are the deadlines? What are the action steps? It's really very practical. And I highly recommend it. 
Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I interview a lot of CPAs and attorneys and a lot of them um, were surprised. They went to, they went to college and got their degrees and passed their exams, but they will often say, I didn't take any classes. I had no idea in how to run a business that gave legal advice or did accountancy. Right. And so that's a, that's a big regret of theirs. I would also say, you know, as an employer, uh, what I look for on a resume when I'm hiring someone is any kind of experience. So at a very young age, you should be out there doing something, anything. It doesn't matter. I don't mm-hmm. care if you were a, a busboy or a, or a waitress or uh, you worked in a clothing store or I, I don't care what you did or, you know, an office job filing. But I'd like to see something on your resume that shows me that you've been out in the world. And mm-hmm. honestly, if you were a waitress and you were able to multitask, I think you're going to be the greatest. Yeah, those are great experiences in that restaurant world. I think everybody should have to work in that for a while just to get a taste of that um, and dealing with personalities. I was just going to say, and just to have to deal with the general public, because you you find, like you said, every kind of personality, and you're going to find that with with your colleagues, and you're going to find that with your clients. And so it's important to have a little life experience. So how did you hone in on your areas of practice? The, The main, you know, focuses that your legal practice has, how did you come to that conclusion or hone in on that? So we're a niche practice. We're a boutique firm. We only handle IRS and New York State tax problems. Okay. So I always say I, I negotiate for a living. I have, as I said, the accounting background. I have the, the legal background. I went for an LLM in tax from NYU. Um, I used to do everything. I used to do estate planning. I used to do the research on what's the con- tax consequence of a corporate deal, mm-hmm. uh, a real estate deal. You name it. And I did it. International kind of work. But 34 years ago, I started a family and you can't be all things to all people at all times. And when I started my firm 26 years ago, I said, what am I best at? What do I enjoy the most? Mm -hmm. And it really was handling these tax controversy matters. And so I got a niche in New York state residency related issues. And so we do both federal and state. And uh, we handle any kind of collection and any kind of audit, whether it be for business (laughs) or for individuals. Okay. So when someone um, engages with you for the first time, um, what, do you, what do you think is a common or a big misconception that people have about maybe what you do or what you can do for them? So when you have a representative, you'd be surprised how you get much further than just dealing with the, the government on your own. On your own. Yeah. So a lot of people, first of all, are afraid when they get an envelope in the mail from the government. And sometimes people come to us with a stack of mail unopened. They're missing deadlines. <laughs> they're missing opportunities. You could challenge a lot of things within a certain period of time. And then after yeah. that time, you can't. Right. I'll give you a story. I mean, this is interesting. When my daughter was getting engaged a number of years ago, we were interviewing a number of caterers. And we handle a lot of sales tax audits in New York. And the guy mentioned, I mentioned what I do. And he said, oh, my God, I had a, I had a sales tax audit many years ago. I was represented by my accountant. And I had to pay something like $100,000 uh, over time. So I said, you know what? If you want, I'll do you a favor. Give me the authorization to look at the file, I'll request it from New York State, and I'll see if there's anything in there. Maybe maybe I can get you a refund. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I found some things in the file that I thought would help be helpful. And two years later, I called him up. I said, man, are you going to be in love with me? He said, why? I'm already in love with you. I said, no, I'm getting you a refund of $67,000. And I said, it would have been the full amount, except the time was ticking. Yeah. And, you know, you lost some of that that money. Right. But I got him a refund of $67,000. He had no idea. He said, how'd you do that? You know what? If you're a professional and you know what you're looking for, or you know what's missing in the file, you could challenge it. And so yeah. not everybody realizes it. You know, if you ignore these things, 
the government can take money out of your bank account. They could take money out of your salary. They, if you have a business, they could padlock the business. I mean, <clears throat> and there could be transferring liability. You might not even know that you have liability. It could have been from a prior business that you bought. In New York State, as I mentioned earlier, there's a, a bulk sale requirement. You have to file with New York State before you buy a business because they want an opportunity to come in and say, the prior owner owes money, and before you pay him, pay us. Yeah. And sometimes if you don't p- do the proper filing and you pay the seller, you might owe it twice because you're going to pay him and then you're going to pay the government. So you right. really have to be aware of what your rights are and what liabilities are out there. And I, I walk around with my phone. There's an app on the phone that tells you if you have a New York state tax warrant, you can look anybody up. I can look you up. You can look me up. It's public knowledge, what you owe, how much you owe, where you live, what it relates to. It's unbelievable. They have the top, a top list of the top 250 individuals and 250 businesses that have warrants. Mm. I happen to represent a few of them. <laughs> well, I don't want to be on that list, Karen. <laughs> but, so what's the biggest misconception? The big, so you have to deal with it. It's not going away on its own. People think, oh, if I ignore it, it's going to go away. It's not going away. The best thing to do is to start early, get rid of penalties, get rid of the interest, come up with an, uh, a collection alternative. There's probably a way to either pay it over time, reduce the amount, say it's not your liability, whatever it is. Well, I used to, you know, David Letterman used to have his top 10 yeah. list. I have my top 10 list of, of how we can help you. And we give a free consultation for 15 yeah. minutes over the phone. So you call, we go through it, we give you a, we navigate you through the forest, we give you the options, and then you decide if you want to do it on your own. And we even help you with that. We'll direct you to, let's say you want to, let's say you don't want to pay the whole thing over. Uh, uh, you, you can't pay the full amount. So you hear all these commercials on TV, pay 10 cents on the dollar, yeah, whatever it right. is. That's called an offer in compromise. If you can't afford to hire a representative, we'll direct you to the proper website at the IRS and the proper section. They have videos now that tell you how to complete the form. Mm-hmm. So you could on- try it on your own. And then mm-hmm. let's say you, you get to a point where you need help, whether it be in negotiating or filling in the forms, then you could always get a, a representative involved uh, at that level. But you'd be surprised how much information is out there, but you, you wouldn't even know to look for it and how to find it. Yeah, well, and the other problem is, is, and this is where being in a niche is really important, and I find this in the work that we do, is there's lots of information, but it's wisdom is in short supply, right? Which is, okay, here's the info, but how does it apply to me, and how do I need to apply it, and what do I need to do without making mistakes and missing deadlines and doing it wrong, so then it makes it worse. Right. And right. also, you, you might not know, is that the federal government Let's say you owe money. The federal government has a 10-year statute of limitations on collection. Mm -hmm. So after 10 years, it disappears. New York State, it's 10 years against real property, but 20 years against personal property. Mm. 20 years is a very long time, but the federal level disappears. So if you're in the 19th year on on a New York State sales tax matter, you want to figure out a way to delay it, not to necessarily confront it. Yeah. Right? Right. So. Yeah. A lot of marriages don't even last that long, Karen. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to tell you my best marriage story. This is great. This just happened a few weeks ago. Again, not everybody is full disclosure about what's going on with their finances within their own right. family. So we're doing a Zoom consult with a husband and a wife. Looks like the perfect suburban family. He's an attorney. She has this great job with a sportswear company. And they have three children. One just graduated from college. The one who graduated from college says, oh, I'd love an apartment in New York City. I need somebody to guarantee the lease. 
In order to do that, we need copies of the tax returns. Mm -hmm. So the wife says to the husband, let me have a copy of the tax return. And he says, I haven't filed since 2014. Mm. 2014? We're in 2022. You're an attorney. This is crazy. And so we told them all their options and what they can do. But you can see the marriage falling apart very quickly. She says, you know, I have an elderly mother and I have a joint account. And is that money at risk? And you might owe a million dollars and on and on and on. So we did get hired and we are helping them resolve the problem. But it is a family emotional issue more than a financial issue. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of begs to the question, um, can you maybe give a description of a typical client that you work with or an an ideal or ideal client that you work with? Right. So I'll give you I'll give you some examples of, you know, it's more like war stories. OK, so we represent a lot of residency uh, snowbirds. You know, okay. here you are in Florida. A big portion of what we do are people who claim they live somewhere else. We use Florida as the example. Okay. And New York State says, I don't think so. We, we think that you owe money to New York. So you owe money to New York if you're deemed a resident. And that is if you're domiciled here or if you have a permanent place of a, a statutory resident, you have a permanent place of abode. And you hear more than 183 days. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that that six months in a day rule is the only rule they have to follow. So if you talk to anyone in Florida, they'll say, oh, I stayed six months in a day. I'm no longer a New York resident. What they don't realize is that they first have to get over the domicile hurdle, that first hurdle. That first hurdle is very hard to go get over. It's the taxpayer has the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence if they were always a New York domiciliary and now they, they're claiming they live elsewhere. The opposite is true. If you always live, let's say, in Florida, and now New York is claiming that you, you're here, they would have the burden of proof. Like mm-hmm. Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter had a, a permanent resident in Florida and then a $20 million uh, apartment in Trump Tower. And so New York State said, oh, you're here. But they would have the burden of proof. And that case was quickly uh, settled and out of the public eye very quickly. Yeah. But we handle a lot of cases that sound typical. So let me give you an example. You've always lived in New York. And you have a very nice house here. Your family's here. Your business is here. And you go and buy a place in Florida. And let's say you buy a place in year one. And in year two, you hire the best decorator to renovate the place in Florida. You put in a pool. You change everything. In year three, you move over your art collection and your wine collection. In year four, New York State comes in and says, you claim you live there, but we think you live here. Here's a bill for a quarter of a million dollars. And now you have the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence to show the five primary factors. Home is where the heart is. And you're going to try and show your subjective intent with objective factors. Mm -hmm. So they look at five main things. Everyone thinks it's the driver's license and all these other things, voter registration. Those are only the secondary other factors. Mm -hmm. The first thing they look at is that they compare your home here and there. Then they look at your, your business involvement. Are you still actively involved in a business in New York? Then they look at the time, and this is not the, the, the six months in a day rule. This is, have you changed your pattern? You used to always be in New York. Are you spending now more time in Florida? Mm-hmm. It's like a two to one ratio that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Where are the family connections and where are your items near and dear? They don't want to hear that you put everything in the trunk of your car and you, t- and you drove over. And do they understand that wealthy people could afford furniture in both places, clothes in both places? You have the burden. You really want a moving van to show that you moved on a specific day that you took everything you own and moved it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened during COVID? People couldn't get back to New York. And right. so we've used that as an excuse to win these cases because mm-hmm. what they say in New York is that was a creeping change. Year one, year two, year three. Mm-hmm. Year... When did you move? 
We don't know when you moved. Yeah. But now we could say, guess what? Here's exactly when we moved. We couldn't get back to New York. We decided we're staying there. And we've won a few cases like that. And what's important is for estate planning purposes. So we're focusing right now on income tax purposes. Yeah. But once you change your domicile to Florida, that's it forever. And so when you die, Florida rules apply, which is which would be uh, advantageous. Yeah, now, for income tax purposes, they could check every year the day count if you still have a place of abode here, if you still mm-hmm. keep your residence in New York. So, so we handle a lot of residency cases. We hand, we represent a lot of businesses who are selling because, again, with this, the bulk sale rule in New York, we handle a lot of people who owe money for whatever reason. They were very successful in year one, and now year two, they're not. They were a rapper. They were a celebrity. They had a successful business. Then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, they're not touring. Uh, their business is not open, and they they can't pay that t- those taxes. Mm-hmm. We represent them. We'll get them either an offering compromise, which is less than they owe, or we'll get them an installment agreement, which is they pay over time, or we'll negotiate the amount down. We'll take a look at the if there was an audit of some kind. We'll take a look and say we don't think that was uh you know valid. We do a lot of innocent spouse cases. If you're married, if you're no longer interested, you know you don't want to pay your spouse's taxes. We handle innocent spouse cases. Those kinds of things. Okay, and I'm going to ask you about the the innocent spouse thing in a little bit. So obviously, when someone's involved in a situation like this, it can be very emotional, right? So how do you? I'm curious how you kind of help clients deal with the roller coaster of the emotions when they're going through the ordeal and the process. Because you've done it hundreds of times, but this is probably their first time. And right. so, how do you help them handle that? Right. So that's a good question. You know, there are different personalities on my legal team. Mm-hmm. And yes, we have a consultation when it's in person with a box of tissues on the table. But, you know, I'm a bottom line kind of gal. So mm-hmm. I'm different than, let's say, somebody else will say, oh, I feel so bad for you. You know that I'm not that type of personality. Yeah. My personality is I'm going to I'm a professional and I understand there's an emotional side to this. And, and I'm going to put someone on, you know, on the matter that could relate mm-hmm. to you and give mm-hmm. you amazing service and care. But I'm going to tell you, there's a forest, and here's how you go through the forest. And and I'm going to give you all the options, about, you know, to help you get to the end result. And again, I have the top 10 list, and we're very successful. We get really good results. And and as I said, I negotiate for a living. That's what I yeah. do. So okay. I'm going to get you the best result possible uh, under the circumstances. Under the circumstances. You cry about, and you can cry about it and be emotional about it, and someone else will deal with that aspect. Right. Not me personally. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what so- you're getting. Yeah. It's, well, right. You're upfront about that. And that's and people appreciate that, of course. So I want to jump in and say there's a good and a bad to that sure. on the client side, but also on the government side. Yeah. So the government knows that I'm a woman of my word, that I'm going to make a deal and live up to it and that I'm no nonsense. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they could trust me. We have a relation. It's a professional relationship over 40 years. I'm doing this next year will be 40 years. Yeah. And so we're all professionals. And, you know, yes, there's an emotional component and we're going to bring it up. Certainly during COVID, we're going to bring up the health issues. Uh, if we're looking for a penalty abatement, which we do regularly, we're going to bring up the emotional side of things. But I'm a no-nonsense kind of gal and, you know, you can work with me. Yeah. Okay. So aside from the obvious, which is pay your taxes on time, what are there other things that people can do to avoid being put in the situation you know, whether it's their, they own a business or you, I'm sure you see mistakes that they make that got them into the situation, right? Or from a personal level, 
you know, mistakes that they made. What are maybe some tips that we can all use to avoid being put in the situation? Yeah, I would say I have a good representative and I'm not even talking about it, a tax attorney that can help you when you have the problem. Have a great accountant up front that's giving you advice. Now, I think years ago, one of the ma- one of the money magazines used to give around April 15th certain facts to 50 different accountants and okay. they got 50 different results. Okay. 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 So you realize that there's no one right answer when you're completing, let's say, a tax return. And so everyone takes different positions. Some are more conservative. Some are more aggressive. Uh, you have to decide what your risk tolerance is. Yeah. Um, and then hope that you don't get audited. You know, look, now yeah. the government, the IRS is getting $80 billion of funding so that they can hire new people, upgrade their, modernize their, their computer system, and perhaps do more audits. The risk of audit may go up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to go up as much for people that earn 400000 or less, but it will go up for the high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... Also, the second you realize that there is an issue, try and correct it. Yeah. You know, if you come forward, they look at you a little differently than if you ignore and don't open those envelopes. Yeah, kind of like a self-disclose or something like that. And are there are there some common mistakes that the business owners are making? I mean, you know, let's say that they have a CPA, but I think of things like, well, I decided to do my books myself or, you know, something like that. So do you see common things that got them into the spot? You know, I can't say yes or no to that. I mean... I see every kind of problem imaginable. I don't know right. if they were intentional. I see a lot of people don't pay their payroll tax, for example, right, right. or their sales tax, and they're relying on either a payroll company or they're relying on the bookkeeper. But yeah. if you're deemed if you're deemed the responsible person, you're the one who yeah. made the financial decisions. You're the one yeah. signing the checks. You know, you have the responsibility. You can't just pawn it off. Everyone yeah. says, "Oh, my husband forged my name and you know on a personal tax return or whatever." You know what? Every every taxpayer, whether it's a business or an individual has the obligation to look at that return, know that they're supposed to file it. So those are basic things. But there is in New York a voluntary disclosure program, which not everybody's aware of, and it's phenomenal. Listen to this. If you come forward before they catch you, you got to get to them before they get to you. Okay. There would be a three to six year look back period, three years mostly for individuals and six years of of first uh, sales tax. Okay. And so guess what? This guy who didn't file since 2014 that we mentioned earlier you know, if you go back only a handful of years, he's going to save. he doesn't have to file a New York state tax return for any of those years. Mm. And then on the federal level, it would only be going back approximately six years, the, the criminal policy. Pharmacy, and so yeah. and so he's going to save everything, taxes for that for 2015, you know. Yeah, going on. OK, so you well, see. So, again, it'll be, you know, three years back yeah. and six years back. Right. But still, he's going to save if that one year saves him sixty thousand dollars. That's phenomenal. That's substantial. Yeah. So what you're saying, Karen, is that you've seen all levels of dysfunction. (laughs) Yes. And you know what? I'll tell you what surprises me the most. I was once represented a very famous guy who you see on TV bashing everybody else. And I said to him, he came to me, he makes over a million dollars every year and he didn't file a tax return for I can't tell you how many years. And I said, you're going to be on the front page of the New York Times. You know, you have to do something immediately because it's going to ruin your reputation. It's going to ruin yeah. your career. How do you do that? And, you yeah. know, he comes up with 10, 10 excuses. But I said, you have to do the New York State voluntary disclosure before you walk out of the office tonight. Yeah. Because otherwise, you, if they find you first, you can't even do it. Right. And he did. Yeah, it's too late at that point. Okay. Yeah, but here are, fam- here are famous people. If you Google it, every time I'm going to give any kind of presentation, I Google what famous celebrity has a tax problem this week. They never disappoint. I'm doing it 40 years. 
And yeah. the names would astound you. Nicolas Cage. I mean, unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, he's the famous one. Okay, so let's jump into something that you mentioned uh, earlier, and hopefully you can give us some clarity on it. So this, this there's this concept of innocent spouse relief. So what kind of what does that mean on a high level, and when do you see it apply? Right. So I'm not going to get into details, but I can sure. give you a plug. I'm, yeah. I'm going to give you a plug. So I'm the chair of the tax law committee of uh, Suffolk County, and I'm going to pull out my calendar now because we're having somebody speak to that exact issue mm. on October 13th at five o'clock. And if anyone wants to email me at K Tenenbaum, T-E-N-E-N-B-A-U-M at litaxattorney.com, we'll give you the link to the Zoom. It's free unless you want credits for uh, to be a CPA or okay. uh, an attorney, but it's free otherwise. You join the tax law committee on Zoom, and we already once had somebody come and talk about what happens when you represent the guilty party, mm. and now this person's going to talk about the innocent party because there are so many details and intricacies, but basically the bottom line is I don't want to pay the tax. They're not. It's not my money. I didn't know. I had no reason to know. I mm. didn't benefit, and why it would be unfair for you to now make me pay his taxes or her taxes. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And we see this, we see this regularly. Okay. And um, I'm sure in those cases, it, where's the burden of proof for that? I mean, is it in terms of what you have to show? So the person who claims to be the innocent spouse has to right. show, I didn't okay. know, I didn't benefit. Now, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you say that when you're living in this gorgeous house and you're driving right. out fancy cars, right. but right. what you got to somehow show is that he had a million dollar bank account hidden yeah. and he didn't know about, you didn't know right. about it. Yeah. And so, Which that does so they do, right. And they do, they usually say no at the first level, yeah. but when you go to appeals, there's usually uh, a better result. Okay. All right. So you've been giving us a bunch of examples from your practice and your experience of explaining different things that we're talking about. I'm wondering if you can think of what maybe what you would consider to be like one of your most satisfying client experiences, like what the problems were that they were facing and how you were able to help? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So let's see. Would it be one of my residency matters? I don't know. Could Uh, be. Yeah. It's like you were especially satisfied, like, wow, you know, we really helped them and they really appreciated it. So definitely the residency matters. I have to say, because I love those. Every My husband says, oh, you know, you're a tax attorney. Isn't it so boring? And I always say it's it's the most interesting thing. It's like a soap opera every day. We represent people who give me their diaries. I mean, I get to read their journals yeah. and see about their arguments with their spouse. It's crazy. But I can think of something from many, many, many years ago. I can think of a few now that I think of it. One was, so if you owe money to New York State and they padlock the place, they're going to sell everything at auction. Mm. So they hire an auctioneer and they hire a videographer and they... Uh, invite the public to come and buy whatever's there. So I was very young and uh, new at this. And they were selling used cars and used boats in a big place that the landlord owned, where he owned the phones, the fax machines, the desks, and all of the the equipment. And I had done some research and found out that if if New York State employees sell something that doesn't belong to the taxpayer, they would be personally liable. Mm. So I'll never forget. I'm young, you know, I'm a little cocky. I say to all the employees there, can I have your name and your personal information so that when you sell the wrong information, you sell the wrong uh, stuff, I could go after you personally. So they say, why? What What are we selling? That's not theirs. I said, well, the taxpayer owns the boats and the cars. 
But the landlord doesn't owe any tax, owns yeah. all this other equipment. Mm-hmm. They stopped the entire auction. They took a little red tape <laughs> and they said, none of this is going to be on, on you know, for sale. I said, okay, good. Now, the funniest thing was they sell all the boats and the cars. And the next day they open up the exact same type of business in that exact location with the exact same phone number. The exact right. Same- <laughs> right. I wow. laughed. But now, but now it will be different because if you have pyramiding of debt with New York State, they're not going to give you a certificate of authority to start a new business. Yeah. And what we see, and what we see regularly is, let's say, the father, something senior, now because he had so many businesses and owes so much in taxes, uses Junior's name. He has a okay. son or a daughter, and the names are similar. And so they open up a business, and the father signs everything, and he doesn't realize it that he's creating a problem for the son mm-hmm. uh, in the future. So, but we we resolve all those problems as well. But I remember being very satisfied that That's I was awesome. able to stop the auction. And yeah, and yeah. Well, usually, when people are fearful of uh, coming back repercussions on them personally, that makes them stop and think. But but the funniest is so every year we have a, an annual picnic for the firm, and uh, we have it at a park. And one day, right after this, I'm uh, walking toward the park in my shorts and whatever on a nice summer day. And who's having a picnic at the, the spot right next to us, but all the employees from that exact location from the, wow. Suffolk, yeah. from the Suffolk, New York State Department of Taxation. And, wow. and honestly, we all said hello, very friendly. And now it's 40 years later. I get yeah. invited to their uh, retirement parties. Uh, the commissioner used to have us up in Albany on a regular basis. Again, we're all professionals. So, yeah, right. But, you have a mutual have respect. That's okay, right. so... I was doing some research on your website and I found something interesting I wanted to ask you about. There's something outside of your practice that you're pretty passionate about, this money masters thing and Walt the Vault. So tell me a little Uh, bit about that. I mean, I have a passion around financial literacy as well. So talk about that a little bit. So we have to do something together. So absolutely. So my daughters are 31 and 34 years old. And when my 34-year-old was five, we went into the kid's shoe store and they have the vending machine. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, Ma, can I have a quarter? So I give her a real quarter, and out pops a plastic egg. And what's in the plastic egg but a fake quarter? Mm. And the kid is dancing around. She put in a real quarter, she got a fake quarter, and she couldn't have been happier. And I said right then and there, I got to teach kids about money yeah, <laughs> and about right. saving and financial literacy. And so it's been my passion. I started a nonprofit organization 27 years ago mm-hmm. named uh, Commerce Plaza. 75,000 kids have come through the program. It was open to all kids on Long Island. Uh, it's a field trip when they're 11 years old in fifth grade. Okay. They have a curriculum back at school. They come and run one of 10 businesses to the day. We have a Capital One Bank. Mm-hmm. We have Ikea, Hofstra University, uh, Northwell Health. The kids take on a role. Somebody's the bookkeeper. You know, this 11-year-old kid writes out a check, $4.50 yeah. for your salary. And the guy who's the... Um, the real estate broker has a Velcroed sign. And when you pay the rent, he takes off the Velcroed sign. And when you pay the phone bill, they connect your phone. And now you have a village all working together. Mm. And it's the most amazing experience that these kids have. And then after you you take your $4.50 check, you go over to the banker who's your friend, and you deposit it into your, your bank account. Now you can go around and shop at all the places and buy promotional items. Okay. And at the end of the day, every bookkeeper has to give a profit and loss statement. But that was for 11-year-olds. So I said, you know what? Remember, my original passion was for the Mm five-year-olds. So we started a for-profit entity that's now called, it's Money Masters, Inc., but it's Walter the Vault. 
And everyone could go to WalterTheVault.com. And for free, there's so many games and and projects and chore charts and books. I think the books cost money. But there's all sorts of fun things for everyone to do. Money. There's a game with money uh, falling out of the sky called Raining Change. And there's videos on YouTube. We have so many fun animated things, Walter the Vault. And so we're we're doing all sorts of great things with Walter the Vault. I have to say that. Yeah. Um, and and it's still my passion. And uh, we're always looking to connect with toy companies, with banks. In fact, the Junior Achievement, you have a Junior Achievement in Florida that has a similar program to my Commerce Plaza. Mm-hmm. Um, we all we all modeled it off of something in Tampa. Yeah. There was a, a K through 12 educational program for one of the schools and we all modeled our programs and it's really phenomenal. Yeah. So I have a three-year-old grandson now who, who likes, who says ka-ching and puts all his valuable things in, in Walter. His valuable things are not money. It's the Hot Wheels toys, yeah. right? The Hot Wheels cars, anything that's valuable, he knows goes in that vault. Mm-hmm. And even a three-year-old could understand that. And how many kids walk into a store and say, mommy, I want this. And so you need to learn how to set limits and and spend responsibly and save. Uh, it's all great lessons. And I would yeah. love to do something with you on and, and grandparents. Every grandparent wants to teach their children, you know, their, their grandchildren about this. And when friends have uh, kids who have babies, everyone's buying them a porcelain p- piggy bank. Well, that breaks in five minutes. Yeah. Right. right. So let's get uh, we have a plush. In fact, wait, don't go away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Aaron's going to get the plush. Oh, there, there we go. go. There we go. I'm Walter the Vault. I'm friendly yeah. and nice. I'm filled up with rhymes and financial advice. Okay. Save your nickels, save your dimes, listen well to all my rhymes. And if you do, it's me you'll thank for all the money in your bank. And here we even have a song. <laughs> it Right? It looks like on his, his nose looks like one of those old uh, timers you use for baking. There you go. It's a dial. It's a but dial. it's a dial with the net with the. That's right. On it. And I have another one that in this room that opens up, and you can put okay. your, your valuables in it. And that's where my okay. three year old puts his. Awesome. Well, that that is so lacking. I know you've seen it, like financial literacy with kids, even like adolescents and kids going to college. The lack of literacy from a finance standpoint, it's it's really pretty shocking and sad in our country that we can't do a better job of that. So, and I can tell how passionate you are about that. That's awesome. Well, I got to tell you one more thing. So I'm a CPA. I'm very active in the New York State Society of CPAs. And I was the inaugural chair of the Financial Literacy Committee. And we put together resources that are on nyssCPA.org. I think if you type in my name or financial literacy, we have every age group. I, I don't know if they kept it current, but when I was the, the chair, we had resources for every age group, college, beyond. Mm-hmm. You can't believe how many people get their first job in my office and are shocked that taxes get taken out. Right. Yeah, what's this being deducted, huh? Right. That's right. What yeah. what is this? That's right. right. But that but the right. resources are available. What kids at each age level can understand. Ages mm-hmm. three to five, six to ten. And we've actually modeled that. If you go to our waltofthevault.com website, we have songs that relate to what the kids could understand. Wants versus needs. Yeah. Uh once you spend this money, it's not yours anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't believe how many kids don't get that. How yeah. about how many adults don't get that? Right. Once you spend that money, it's not yours anymore. Yeah. And we have songs that the kids could sing. Cool. So the, whatever, you, everyone should go there with a lot of fun. No, they should. I want everybody to check that out. Thank you for, I, I love that you're so passionate about that. And it's such a, it's such a need. 
So we're getting close to the end. I have a couple more questions. I want to switch back to business. What do you kind of, what do you see as being your biggest opportunity right now for your practice in the future? Oh, so we're, so this is great. You know, the pandemic was uh, negative for some things and, but positive for others. So the way I always got my word out there was I'm very active in every accounting association and every legal association giving speeches, writing articles and blogs, and meeting a lot of people. I have a tremendous uh, Rolodex. I call it a Rolodex database of people who I've met over the years. But because of the pandemic, I had to get a digital presence. And now I have to say I'm able to help people that are across the country. Again, I do federal work. And so Mm -hmm. you don't only only have to be in New York. And so we have a tremendous uh, growth opportunity because of uh, of who we are able to help across the country. And what we're, what we're seeing is, again, there are different levels. Some people want us to do everything from beginning to end, yeah. but we also offer a do-it-yourself opportunity and everything in between. So we'll help you. We'll direct you to all the right forms. And then if you want to uh, do it on your own, but call us when you need us, we offer that as well. Okay. All right. So maybe on the flip side of that, Karen, what do you see as maybe a biggest challenge or obstacle that you yet to overcome or that you need to overcome. So, you know, because the government was very relaxed and lenient for the last few years, and now the phone is ringing off the hook by having our best year ever, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to find staff, I would say, uh, that are qualified to keep up with the demand. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds crazy. But for two years, they said, file late, don't worry, we'll work it out if you have a payment issue. Uh, And now, uh, I always say it's like a vice against your head. Yeah. They're they're taking money out of your bank account. They're they're starting all you know to do everything they were doing before, liens, levies, taking uh, money out of your salary. And so we want to help all these people. And I'm hiring like crazy. How's that? Yeah, yeah it is. It's a uh, we haven't seen really a job market like this in a while. With there's lots of job opportunities and um, people can be more picky now. And then there's in some categories where some of the industries can't find anybody or keep them. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. And I guess you also have to say, do you, you know, do I want people in person? And so right. I'm, you know, limited to who's local or am I willing yeah. to now do remote? Yeah. And then I could get uh, great help, you know, yeah. anywhere. Mm-hmm. So Right. Well, that certainly a, changed with the pandemic. Yeah. That certainly opened up more kind of fast forwarded that opportunity for people. Okay. So if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they could go to LITaxAttorney.com. They could call us at 631-465-5000. They could either email me at K-Tenenbaum, T-E-N-E-N-B-A-U-M at LITaxAttorney or TaxHelpline at LITaxAttorney.com. And we have a free app they could download called Tax Helpline, and that would give them links to a lot of good things. Okay, awesome. Karen, listen, I want to thank you a lot for taking the time to be here with me today. This was fast paced and fun and we covered a lot of territory. It's been a real pleasure to interview you. And I want to thank everybody for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we hope to raise the confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Take care, be well. Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much, Chris. This was great. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com.
If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 